Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. This is my last podcast for now from London, and it's the third one, and it's the third Jonathan. I seem to have a lot of good friends and good people in this world called Jonathan. So I'm here sitting outside. There might be a little bit of London traffic noise, but I'm sitting outside on a overcast summer day in London with um, my old friend John Boyd, Jonathan Boyd, who is the executive director of the Institute for Jewish Policy Research. And Jonathan loves and is really good at understanding numbers and statistics. So we just ended the book of numbers, Bamidbar, the book in the wilderness, which has lots of census taking. And now we're entering into Devarim, the fifth book of the Torah, Deuteronomy. And this Shabbat is Shabbat Chazon. And Chazon is about a pretty bleak vision of Isaiah as he um, prepares us for for Tisha B'Av, the commemoration of the destruction of the temples in Jerusalem. And so some of that's going to be the framework of our, our conversation. Um, but to, to begin with, I just want to say firstly how lovely it is to, to see you, John. Lovely to be here. And perhaps start by saying, like, so the, your, your work as, as the ED of the Institute for Jewish Policy Research involves a lot of statistics. And, you know, there are lots of cynical quotes about statistics. You know, I think it was uh, Mark Twain who said, what is it, the statistics? No, lies, damn lies, L- and statistics. Oh, li- lies, damn lies, and statistics, right. And then there's, I think it's attributed to Oscar Wilde, but I'm actually not sure that it is Oscar Wilde about the people using statistics like a drunk uses a lamppost more for support than illumination. But I feel, having known you for quite a while, that you have a very good understanding of how important numbers and statistics are. So perhaps just start by reflecting on, on your work and, and how you see that and how it informs us as a Jewish community and really as a community in general, how trends and statistics help us understand who we are and where we're going. Yeah, I mean, I have some sympathy for, for Mark Twain, actually, because uh, you know, when statistics and when numbers are used very loosely or incorrectly or you know, inappropriately, they, it's very, very easy to abuse them. But um, you know, I think the fundamental reason why I do what I do is because, particularly at the moment, the, you know, with all the with all the stuff around truth and post-truth, um, really having a sense of what's what's really going on in the world and how sizable are different problems and different issues. Um, I just think it's become more and more important. You know, there's so much discussion, so much anxiety, so much concern around different issues. So trying to trying to get a sense of you know various issues, dimensions, and proportions becomes very important. Um, so I think that's really why I do what I do. Try to try to bring a sense of empiricism to the the issues that are going on in the world today, so that we get a sense of you know, really. To what extent should we be concerned? To what extent, you know, is is a particular phenomenon, you know, a a, a big problem or a small problem, and how does it, in in relation to other problems, where does it sit? Those sorts of, you know, that sort of perspective. Can you give a specific example of an area that where that's 
been true for you and your work? I think it's particularly um, pertinent at the moment in the in the realm of anti-Semitism. So when you know when I think about um, anti-Semitism here, there in here in the UK, there's a lot of lot of concern, a lot of discussion. Um, you know, if you read the the Jewish press um, here pretty well every single week there will be it'll either be front page news or it'll be somewhere in the first you know two three four five pages there'll be some story some issue about anti-semitism um, so when you when you follow that and when you when you're on social media um, you got you we pick up you know issues around anti-semitism all the time um, so some of the work we've tried to do is just to quantify the scale of the problem um, and actually what we find sort of irrespective of how it's measured um, the levels of anti-semitism in the UK are lower than pretty well anywhere else in the world um, so you know does that mean it's not a problem no there are you know there are genuine issues but it's important I think just to have that that perspective sometimes because it, it's like people can get very caught up in the drama and the you know the anxiety about different issues and um, I think just having a sense of perspective is important. So let's stay with that, seeing as you know we are in this delicate time in the Jewish calendar where we're, Tisha B'Av has become connected not just to the 2,000 year old temple but to uh, the destruction and persecution throughout Jewish history so the theme of anti-Semitism seems pretty strong and, and, and relevant and as you, as you said there are lots of people who are very concerned about it perhaps especially in Europe but even in the US there does seem to be you know with some of the the white supremacy and the Jews will not replace us that chant you know in, in that kind of movement um, so just to, to focus in a little bit I mean you said that the UK has less anti-Semitism than anywhere I mean I want to just understand uh, that a bit more um, I mean I can't say less than anywhere but there when, when we when we research anti-Semitism, we can do it through different different lenses or different ways. So, you know, you can analyse um, the number of anti-Semitic incidents that are recorded. You can analyse the attitudes of non-Jews towards Jews or towards Israel. Um, you can um, analyse Jewish people's perceptions of anti-Semitism, what they consider anti-Semitism to be, um, how worried they are about it, and all those sorts of things can be measured. You can also look at data around uh, migration, for example, and, and analyse the extent to which people are either moving from one neighbourhood to another neighbourhood out of some concern about anti-Semitism, or moving countries. Um, out of some concern for anti-Semitism. So there are lots of different ways of, of measuring it and what we found is um, however we look at it the the UK comes out better than pretty well every other country it's compared with and that's that's our work that's work done by you know various different polling agencies here and abroad Pew, the Pew Research Centre has done a lot of work on it in the States the Anti-Defamation League's done a lot of it on the state in the States um, but there are you know, there are a lot of international comparisons, and in the UK and the United States, by the way, um, often come out amongst the sort of lowest in the world. Um, as I said, you know that doesn't necessarily mean one shouldn't be concerned about it. But I just think it's uh, you know compared to other places, the situation seems to be better than you know in both countries and than elsewhere in in other parts of Europe. Certainly, when we look at kind of the situation in the in the Middle East. Um, but but generally across the world, uh, 
seems to be the case. We don't have, you know, full international comparisons in every single case, but when we do multinational studies, um, you know, even if it's of ten countries, for example, across Europe, the UK typically comes lowest on the list. And where is most of the global anti-Semitism coming from right now? I mean, is it is it primarily related to Israel? Is it sort of the old kind of familiar anti-Semitism, a combination of, of both? Mm-hmm. I think it depends where you're looking. Um, so, I, I mean, I think fundamentally there are three different sources or three different, in a sense, types of anti-Semitism that, that, um, that are clear in the data. Um, one is sort of the traditional right-wing nationalist um, anti-Semitism, and it seems to me that you know we see that particularly prominently in um, in parts of um, former communist Europe. So you know you can see it in see examples of it in Hungary at the moment or in mm-hmm. Poland. Um, and I also think that you know I mean you mentioned Charlottesville before. Um, you know we're seeing we're seeing evidence of that in the states as well. Um, we don't see very much of that here in the UK, sort of right-wing nationalist anti-Semitism. It's not that it doesn't exist, but it's such a fringe phenomenon that it's really not the, the chief um, cause of concern in this particular part of Europe, but as I said, you find it elsewhere. So that's number one. Um, what about in France, though, with with Le Pen? And so in, in France, too, yeah. certainly. There's, there's, I mean, in, in France, there are... Um, in a sense, there are there are all three types of anti-Semitism that I can you know that, that are quite prevalent there. Um, but the so yeah, so the first type is is sort of right-wing nationalist um, anti-Semitism. The second type is is leftist anti-Semitism. Um, so which I think is much more of a concern here. Um, but you also see it in France. You don't see it so much in um, in in uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, but that's that's. Um, Sort of anti-Semitism um, on the f- on the the, f- the far left. Um, it often uh, contains an element of anti-Israelism, but it's a sort of particularly hostile and virulent form of anti of anti-Israelism, which um, which I think crosses the line into anti-Semitism. Um, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of concern about that here at the moment in the UK. It's not particularly um, violent anti-Semitism, um, which right-wing nationalists. Anti-Semitism often is, but it's um, you know, but it it's, it becomes part of political discourse, and I think it makes people feel very uncomfortable. It's kind of in the rhetoric of sort of anti-colonialism, right? Seeing seeing Jews as being part of this colonial yeah, yeah. infrastructure. That's that's certainly part of it. Um, I think it's also um, you know the sort of conspiracy theories, um, the links with Jews and money and that sort of stuff. I think kind of comes in comes through some of that um, but a lot of it is is in the guise of anti-israel um, talk and it, and as I said it's particularly virulent anti-israel talk so it's you know you know Israel is responsible for you know all the problems in the world Israel's deliberately trying to um, commit genocide against the Palestinian people uh, it's that it's 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 that sort of stuff which I just think crosses crosses the line um, you know, criticism of Israel is entirely legitimate and a lot of it happens within Israeli society itself but when that criticism becomes tinged with um, with strong clearly anti-semitic ideas I think it starts to become very problematic and it clearly makes people feel very uncomfortable um, so that's the second form and the third form is um, or the, the third uh, issue I think within anti-semitism is within the Muslim population um, and you know, however politically incorrect and difficult um, it is 
to say this, empirically, um, in the work that's been done on this, we see that levels of both sort of anti-Semitic and anti-Israel sentiment are, are just higher um, than in the Muslim population than they are in general society. Doesn't, of course, doesn't mean that all Muslims are anti-Semites. It doesn't mean that all Muslims are anti-Israel at all. But but the evidence does point to a, a particular sort of heightened levels of of anti-Jewish feeling, anti-Israel feeling in the Muslim population. Um, you know, I mean, for example, you know, the I mean, the figures from from the UK are about you know maybe one to two percent of the population in the, as a whole here um, would agree with a statement that you know the Holocaust either the Holocaust didn't happen, the Holocaust is a myth, or the Holocaust was exaggerated in some way. So in in British society as a whole, it's you know it's a level of one to two percent um, amongst the Muslim population in Great Britain, it's eight percent. Um, so you know that's still the vast majority of Muslims, <laughs> you know, would disagree with those sorts of statements. But eight percent is you know one in every twelve to thirteen. Um, that's here in the UK, or that's that's, that's here. That's here in the UK. I mean, yeah. we did we did a big study of this here um, last year, so it's all based on that data. Um, but um, but you know, I mean, there have been other studies done elsewhere in Europe by other research agencies that find similar sorts of things. It's not necessarily measured in exactly the same way, but certainly heightened levels of anti-Jewish or anti-Israel feeling in the Muslim population. Um, so, um, you know, so we can see that you know, anti-Semitism comes from these three different um, sources at the moment: from the far right, from the far left, and from the Muslim population, um, or at least parts of the Muslim population. And depending on where we're looking, it's um, you know it's it's you know one form or another or some combination of two of those or three of those. Um, but um, but you know I think there's there's pretty clear empirical evidence of that all of that <laughs> exists um, at different levels of intensity um, in different places. So I, I want to move on in a second to talking about some differences seeing as I sort of straddle a little bit the the two worlds of the Jewish community in, in, in here in the UK and and of course predominantly in the US because I've lived there for a long time now but before we go there I'm just like a little curious while we're talking about anti-semitism so you as the, the work you do you have like the numbers and the data but what do you what do you say to people who are you know concerned about like well what you know, paranoid, not paranoid is not the good, you know, but people who really have specific concern and say, rather, well, anti Semitism is, you know, here it is, like the shadow of Nazi Germany, and here we are again, and, you know, there's no future for, for Jews in Europe. You know, you hear these, these very sort of gloomy and doomy kind of uh, words about it. So, what, what, do you, what do you do you say to people who have that kind of. Um, so I, I mean, I, professionally, I tend to use the numbers because I think the numbers cl clearly. I mean, when I, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the work we do focuses on on the UK and Europe, but I think the the, the numbers clearly demonstrate that we are we're, we're not in the same situation as we were in 1930s Nazi Germany. Like, however, we look at this, the level the levels of of, of anti Jewish feeling are just nowhere near what they were at that time it's an entirely different context so I think they're you know and, and there are all sorts of ways of demonstrating the, the, the differences um, you know empirically between the 1930s and the you know the and 2018 um, 
so I, you know, I tend to sort of use the numbers to to try to just paint a portrait of reality as I see it based on on the numbers. And what that typically does is it um, it it will dampen the most sort of extreme forms of anxiety. Um, but I think it will also challenge um, those voices that are complacent, um, that you know really can't see uh, any signs of. You know anything being particularly different or particularly worrying, um, so I think I think the data tend to bring a, just a sort of a, 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 a an element of um, a sort of a reality check to you know the the voices at both ends of the spectrum that are you know either extremely worried and you know drawing all sorts of historical comparisons or extremely complacent and you know really can't see any problem at all. Mm-hmm. So then, let's go there. So, what what do you think are the major differences in your in your experience in your research between what's happening in the Jewish community in the U.S. and the, in the U.K.? Hmm. <coughs> well, that's a good question. I mean, at a certain level, the comparisons are, are sort of difficult to draw because you know the most of Jews most of Jews in the world today live in two countries which is Israel and America and everywhere else is a little bit of a sort of a backstory. Um, you know there are about six million or so in Israel and in the United States um, the next largest Jewish population in the world is France which has less than half a million so um, and the UK has about 300,000 so the, you know the the comparisons just in in size in terms of size that are, 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 are um, you know, it's difficult to draw. I mean, that's a staggering difference. Let's just let's yeah. pause for a minute. Yeah. Six million and three hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and yet, and yet, like me growing up here in North London, you know, I feel like I live in Colorado, and you know, I feel like the the, the strength and the power of this Jewish community here mm-hmm. in London is mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. So it's yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Britain's kind of is interesting because you know, I I I, I give a. <laughs> A, a presentation about um, you know some of the key stats on British Jewry, and uh, the first point I make is um, the, the the first point is you know what happens in the UK matters, and then in parentheses kind of, um, right. and you know when you when you look at the sort of the size of the British Jewish population compared to Israel or the United States, it's you know it, it barely registers. Um, but you know I think the other side of the coin is. Um, there's a there's a small part of London, uh, but I don't know whether listeners know London or not. But I know you will know it. That basically uh, it basically runs from Swiss Cottage, which is sort of quite near um, central London, to slightly northwest, um, in a northwesterly direction out to, to the to the outskirts of London. So through um, you know through Golders Green, through Hendon, through Finchley, through Mill Hill, Edgware, and out to Radlett and Bushy and those sorts of places. Um, I don't know whether any of that will mean anything to anybody listening, but it's. Well, so but, we're, we're sitting in Finchley, just right, for context. Right. But if you if you can if you imagine London as a kind of circle, um, and imagine a sort of a finger running from close to the centre in a sort of northwesterly direction to the outskirts of London, um, the vast vast majority of Jews. In in um, in London, 
live in that somewhere along that finger basically um, and there are more Jews living along that finger than there are in the whole of Germany in you know the whole of Hungary the whole of the Ukraine the whole of you know lots of different um, you know so so on the one hand it's you know the, the UK is a bit of a backwater globally but there's a very concentrated Jewish community in a very small part of London um, and I think that's what that's what gives it it gives it its vibrancy um, and you know so and maybe that's that's one of the key differences in a sense between the um, between the UK and the US and that um, you know it's not that there aren't other um, Jewish populations dotted around the UK there's a, you know Manchester there's a quite a you know a fairly large community in Manchester um, but most of the other um, cities where there are Jewish populations in the UK are you know very small we're talking about a few thousand people and largely aging populations that are declining um, but in London or in that part of London there's a lot of lot of vibrancy and growth um, and dynamism and actually that's probably the, the most concentrated Jewish population in any part of Europe um, so that you know and so when Jews cluster together in large numbers um, they'll create activity and life and services and all that sort of stuff so I think that's where you know the vibrancy in a sense comes from comes from the numbers and from the concentration um, and the, you know the states uh, you know and clearly you have that in in like on the upper west side of Manhattan but uh, but American Jewry is much more dispersed um, you know there are lots of different cities where there are different uh, different sized Jewish populations um, and actually you know often when I when I think about Jewish life it, it's the 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 those kind of local communities, urban communities, or or you know communities where Jews live in close proximity to one another. That's the piece that matters more than the kind of the national picture, in a sense. So you know, in in Colorado, it's you know those are the Jews who you know who know each other, who convene with one another, and you know who who get together. Um, and uh, it, you know that that's how Jewish life happens. It happens in in community when there are a, sort of a reasonable number of Jews to to, to create Jewish life. Um, so um, yeah, but I think you know I think so. I think yeah, I think one of the big differences is is uh, there's it, the UK has this one centre that is concentrated, yes. whereas America has many many more yes. and each of them are you know different and unique in their own way you know LA is different from New York is different from Chicago is different from Philadelphia is different from Colorado um, you know they each have their own personalities um, and uh, uh, yeah so I think that's one of the differences I think the, um, the there are differences religiously um, you know I think the center of gravity in the UK is, is more is much more orthodox than in the States um, and actually you know part of the reason why the UK Jewish population is one of the very few Jewish populations around the world that's growing is because um, of what's happening in the in the Haredi world here um, you know there's a, a, a rapidly growing Haredi community that is becoming a larger and larger part of the whole um, so we're almost at a po the point where um, close to half of all Jewish children born in this country now are born into Haredi homes mm -hmm. um, even though the Haredi make up maybe 20% of the total Jewish population so we're seeing um, you know so, so if anything this this community is becoming more orthodox over time um, you see that in sort of parts of New York but you look at America as a whole and it's you know it's it's it's, it's not that at all um, and politically I think um, British Jewry is more um, 
is more conservative than American jury, which tends to be much more kind of liberal um, Democrat voters. Um, and uh, uh, Britain's more, Britain is, a, I think, I mean, Britain generally, I think, is a slightly more conservative country. Um, but it's, but you see that in, in British Jewish politics as well. Um, and with actually with the Labour Party, the, sort of the, the, the left wing party here becoming moving further and further to the left um, and with you know increasing concerns about anti-israel rhetoric and anti-semitism in the in the labor party jews are sort of flocking um towards or away from the labor party towards either towards um the conservatives the more sort of right wing um or um or positions where they just don't uh, don't really know who to vote for anymore um or yeah. quite where to put themselves politically what's traditionally because in the states, it's you know I think still roughly seventy percent of, of of voting Jews vote Democratic and as opposed to Republican. But what 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 has the traditional statistic been? Um, there actually aren't great statistics on it, but um, I can tell you that when Tony Blair was Prime Minister, so we're talking kind of in the nineties, um, early noughties, the Jewish community was pretty well equally split. Labour Conservative, um, like the figures we have from that time are. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean there are there are other parties, so it's not fifty fifty. It's it's more like thirty thirty. But it's um, but they were you know very much equally split. The latest figures that have come out on um, Labour Party support are around eight percent. Um, so eight percent of Jews. Wow. Um, so there's been a, a dramatic a dramatic shift away from um, away from the Labour Party. Um, and that's you know that's a lot to do with its position on Israel and its you know and and you know perceived or real anti-Semitism. There's lots of discussions about whether it is or isn't anti-Semitic, but it's um, um, but certainly there's a, there's a there's a clear perception that it, that it is. Um, so um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a shift happening, um, and that's partly a response to political reality, but it's also you know as. Um, as the Jewish population becomes more religious, it also tends to become more um, yeah. politically conservative as well. So we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of our time. So just to say again, you know, we're here close to Tisha B'Av, this sort of very dark day in the Jewish calendar where we look at our history with this sense of introspection and, and loss and grief, you know. so. Uh, and yet Tisha B'Av also, as Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg said in in a conversation we had uh, last week, talked about the fact that you know Tisha B'Av is also this seed of of, of hope and, and sort of messianic consciousness. So, just uh, you know, I don't want to leave leave us. Not that anything that you said was particularly gloomy, but do do you have a sort of what's what's your chazon? You know, Shabbat chazon, like a, a sort of vision of the future. What's your your vision of the future of, of global global jury do you feel positive about it what's my ideal vision or my uh, my well, real vision <laughs> a little bit of both perhaps um look i think i uh, i mean in real terms i um i think i i i feel like the world is more is more vulnerable than i can ever recall um, in my lifetime, you know, I'm kind of coming up to 50, um, and I just don't recall ever feeling the world in this sort of vulnerable place. And that's, 
you know that's that's about Trump and it's about uh, you know from a British perspective it's about Brexit it's just this sense that uh, you know it's the post-truth stuff it's you know, it just feels like we're we're in a vulnerable place right now um, so there's there's part of me that feels um, a little um, a little bleak and concerned about the future um, but you know I also I think you know I think things sort of swing back and forth um, and often you know when when there are challenges in the world it, it, it forces people to think um, more creatively about how to solve them um, you know and I actually feel like for much of my life we've lived it in, in, in a pretty complacent place actually both in the UK and in the US where you know basically things have been broadly speaking okay it's not that the world doesn't have problems but you know socioeconomically we're doing okay there hasn't been a lot of anti-semitism the, you know the democratic system seems to be fundamentally working um, you know so and, and, and that, that feels like it's changed a little bit um, but I you know I think you can also see evidence of people um, asking more and more challenging questions about how do we create you know given those challenges how do we create a better society you see it in the environmental movement um, and I think we see it increasingly in, in um, you know, people asking questions about how do we do, how do we do politics better? Um, how do we, how do we, um, you know, deal with, um, with, you know, what what's real and what isn't? How do we create a, a, a more, in a sense, a more centrist politics that that, that discourages people from moving to extreme positions? Um, it's really difficult at the moment. Um, it's really difficult to, to, to see our way through that. Um, but um, but you know, and it, I do think that you know, out of out of adversity often comes a sort of sense of creativity. Um, so I think the challenge, um, as I think about you know, where do we go and think about vision, is how do we um, how do we use the the concerns and the anxieties that may exist about the world today. For, for good and for creativity and for you know a sense of a sense of purpose and how do we how do we build a better a better world um, you know and one that's uh, that's more nuanced that's more thoughtful um, and that's really dedicated to, ch to solving some of the challenges that exist the, ch mm. the challenges are, are there they're clear we can see them in the data so you know, it's, I think it's dependent upon all of us to figure out how to how to respond to all of that absolutely and I do feel that it in cut, you know, I think there's some incredible passion and creativity that comes from the from the Jewish community here in London, and I, you know, see different but uh, amazing creativity that comes from the from the the, the U.S. community mm -hmm. too. So, I think there's things that the U.K. could learn from from the U.S. and things that the U.S. could learn from the U.K. And so, hopefully, our our future will be will be that willingness to. To learn what we need to learn, and to recognise that the Jewish communities globally do still have relevance and have um, a contribution to make in, in in this sort of you know tikkun olam kind of world where we're we're looking at creating a better future for ourselves and for and for the world. And I I do feel encouraged, even though there are some very scary trends in the world. So on that note, I. Thank you. It's it's been great chatting to you, and uh, look forward to the to the next time. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> See you soon. Take care. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.